Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams concludes the series, Identity. Over the years, the church has lost credibility, and we wonder why the world does not want to listen. Credibility is directly related to experience. However, there is a difference between knowledge and experiential knowledge. All right. We're wrapping up identity this week. It's going to be fun today. I'm excited about what has been on my heart all week, and I want to share that with you. We've been looking um, for the last four weeks. Now, this is the fourth week. We've been looking at our identity, what that means to us. Most of the time, um, the problems I see that people are having, the problems I see that I'm having are typically because I don't know my own identity. I don't know who I am in Christ. And so we've been looking at that. Today, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we're actually going to look at the identity of the church and, and the good or the bad or the ugly of, of that. And so we're going to be looking at that today. But first of all, I want to pray and ask that God would bless this time, bless this word, and um, believe we're going to have a good time in the word today. You ready? It's going to be good. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today. God, um, we, just, we just pray right now that your word would be anointed, that God, um, it, would, it would penetrate our heart, penetrate our soul, and begin to rearrange things, God. That God, um, that, that, that we would not only be convicted, but that we'd be encouraged that all things are possible through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. And God, that now we, we have the, the Holy Spirit, those who believe we have the Holy Spirit that indwells within us. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would overflow in our lives and in our hearts today as this word, um, God, begins to sink in and that it would water it, that it would, it would begin to, to give increase, God, in our lives, so that the fruit of our lives would be honoring and glorifying to you. We just ask you to have your way now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what I want to talk to you about today um, is looking at our idea as a church. Um, one of the things I was thinking about this week, how many of you hate doing laundry? Anybody hate doing laundry? Yeah, like mostly women, I think, raise their hand. Um, I wonder why that would be. Um, But I hate doing laundry too. I actually don't mind putting the clothes in the washer and the dryer as much as I hate to fold them. Anybody else with that? And as much as I hate to put them up, that's the aggravating part for me. And especially one part. And that's when you come to folding the socks. Anybody else hate that? Because you end up with this big basket of socks, right? We've got this basket and we just wash clothes and every sock goes in that basket, right? And, and you never get them all in the same load. So you end up with all this, these socks and you get there and you start trying to put them together. And, and I hate doing it because I'm, I'm kind of p- particular about how things match up, right? And so it drives me crazy when I get a sock and I'm like, well, that one kind of looks like this one, but it really doesn't match exactly like that one. And so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I don't, it, it just drives me crazy. I hate doing it. But I know Susan hates it even more than I do. So there's a lot of times I see the sock and sock um, basket and I'm like, uh, do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? Do I not? And God's like, you, you, know, you really could bless your wife by folding those socks. I'm like, do I want to bless my wife? Do I not? Do I want to bless my wife? Do I not? <laughs> And so then 
I finally would just break down and I'm like, all right. And I just sit down in the floor and, and, and we've got, you know, two children, their, their socks are similar. Now Dake's getting big enough that his socks are kind of close to mine. So I'm having to go through and discern like which socks are which. And, and so finally it can just get to a point where you just take socks and start putting them together. Right. And it's all great and it's good. And you throw them in the drawer. But the problem comes when you go somewhere, like if I go to the gym and I pull my socks out and I put one of them on and it comes up like this high and I put the other one on and it's like an ankle hugger sock and it's down in my tennis shoe. And then I'm like, now what do I do? Do I, do I go out and, and what do I do here? And, and I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about how much I hate it as I was folding socks this week. And, and I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how bad it is when we end up with mismatched socks, right? We end up, how many of you have ever put on a blue and black sock or a blue and black shoe and you end up getting to work, you get somewhere and you look down and you're like, oh, and, and you're stuck like that all day, right? Because you're just like, I hope nobody notices this. But I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the church and I was thinking about how the church is seen in people's eyes. And I was thinking about how so many times it's like the church has mismatched socks. Let me explain that a little bit. It's when we say things and we claim to believe things, but the evidence of our life is something else. Does that make sense? And so that we're, we're standing there and we're literally standing and we can't understand why the world doesn't care a thing about what we're saying or what we're doing. And it's because we're standing there with one 1970s lifesaver tube sock on and one Argyle sock on. And we're standing there with, with the 70s shorts on and the, the, that were really, really high. We were watching an old, flipping the TV around the other day and there was an old basketball game on. And you remember way back like in the 70s, 60s, whatever it was, the basketball players wore those shorts that came way up high. And Dave looked at me. He said, why are their shorts so short like that? He could not figure it out. But we're standing there with one tube sock and one Argyle sock, and we can't figure out why the world is laughing at us. Why don't they care what we say? It's because we're mismatched. It's because the quality of our walk does not measure up to the quantity of our talk. It's because of people that come through the doors of the church aren't living out what is actually represented in the gospel. I guarantee you this, if people today who didn't know a thing about Jesus, and believe me, there are more people in this community, there are more people in this country that, that, that you would think that don't know a thing about Jesus. If they were to read the New Testament, they were to read about what Jesus taught, they were to read about what the letters say, they were to read Acts and see how the power of the Holy Spirit moved. I'm telling you, if they walked through the doors of the church for the first time after reading the Bible for a year or two years and studying it, they would wonder what is going on. They wouldn't understand because it doesn't match up. And so it's like we're the church walking around with mismatched socks. And I want to tell you what it does is it causes us to lose credibility. The reason the world doesn't listen to us, the reason the world doesn't care what we say is because we have lost all credibility with the world. We don't do what, what God has told us to do. So we've lost our credibility, not just as the church, as the body. I'm not talking about the walls of the, the of building. I'm talking about you and I, the church. We've lost our credibility, not just as a whole, but as individuals. We've lost our credibility. And so today I want to talk about how do we reestablish that? How do we get our ID back? How do we get our identity to be back to what God wanted it to be? And I want us to talk about that. I was reading a book the other day. And one of the things that this guy was talking about was he said that when communication experts... Are, are analyzing a source, whether it's a newspaper, whether it's a newscaster, whether it's a, a preacher, whoever it might be, whenever they're analyzing a source, one of the, they, they look for three different criteria. And this was new to me, had never heard this before, but he said the three things they look for are expertise, trustworthiness, 
and a word called dynamism. Anybody know what dynamism means? Good, I don't feel as dumb, right? It means a personality that is, that is active, it's vigorous, it's energetic. There, there's, there's passion in their life. And so they look for people who are, have expertise, who have trustworthiness, and who have a passion for what they're talking about. And I started thinking about those in terms of our Christianity, in terms of our faith, in terms of our so-called relationship with God. And I thought, how perfect is that for the church? How perfect is that? Maybe that is why we don't have any credibility is because in those three areas, we are lacking. We are lacking. And so today I want to real quickly look at those three things in a way that applies to the church so that we can see, is our credibility really good? Or, or is the reason people aren't listening to us because We've, we fall, we've fallen on all three of these and we have no credibility with the world. And so the first one we're going to look at is experience. Look at Acts 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 to you. And then we're going to talk about this. Let me set this up. Peter and John were, were going up to the temple and there was a man there who was begging. He was lame. His feet were, were all messed up. And Peter and John are walking up to the temple. They see him. He asks for alms. He's begging. And they, in the name of Jesus, they say, get up and walk. We don't have silver or gold, but what we have, we're going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This guy gets up and he begins to walk. His feet were strengthened. And so they've seen a huge miracle. And then Peter, as he was so often doing, began to preach to the people who were around. He began to tell these Jewish people, listen, this is what's going on. And um, this is where we're picking up in verse 1 of chapter 4 in Acts. And it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Listen to this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Listen, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now listen to this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note, listen, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If we're going to get our credibility back, people, we have got to begin to experience Jesus. We can't live off of a head knowledge of who Jesus is or who your Sunday school teacher told you Jesus is. There's got to be a revelation in our heart that takes place. There's got to be a continual day after day after day experience with Jesus. Listen, there is one reception of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, but there are many fillings. If you don't believe that, read the first part of Acts. The Holy Spirit is, it flows in us and out of us. And we need to be continually having an experience with God. Think about this. 
Uh, let me show you how important an experience is to us today, right? All right I, I told you last week, I don't like to fly. I, I don't care for it. Now think about this. You're sitting on an airplane. You're about to take off. They've closed the doors. It, it's too late. You're on the plane. You're not going anywhere unless you yell something like bomb, right? And then you, you don't want to do that today. You'll get off the plane, but it will not be in the way that you wanted it to be. It will be with handcuffs and somebody beating you over the head. And so here's the thing. Uh, imagine you're sitting on the plane. The doors are closed. You've got no choice in this. And, and all of a sudden, the captain comes over the loudspeaker, and he says, okay, folks, we're about to take off. I've never done this before, but I'm pretty smart. I graduated from Harvard. I think I can figure this out. How does that make you feel? I don't care how much intelligence he's got. If he's never flown a, flown, if he's never flown a plane before, I don't want to be on it. Do you? But think about this. What if he comes on the loudspeaker and he says, listen, folks, today I'll be your captain. My name is Sully Sullenberger and I'll be flying you today. Anybody feel a little bit more comfortable? Everybody know who Sully Sullenberger is? The Joker landed a plane in the Hudson River and everybody lived. I'm, I'm flying with that guy. That's who I want flying my plane. He's got experience. He's proven. He, he knows. He knows it inside and out. He flew jet planes for the Air Force, fighter planes. That's who I want flying my plane. That's who I want to be in control. Not, not some guy who goes, I think I can figure this out. I've heard. I've heard this is good. I've, I, I've heard it. But think about the same thing with Christianity. Do you really think people are going to follow somebody that hasn't experienced what they say they believe in? No. One thing about this generation today is they don't care how much you know. They want to know if God is real, then I want to feel him. I want to touch him. I want to see him. I want to sense him. It's not going to be enough for us to be able to say, well, let me tell you about justification. They want to know you've been justified. And because you've been justified, they want to see a real relationship with Jesus Christ. If he's real, then we ought to experience him. Amen. We shouldn't settle for anything less than that. We need to continue to push and, and go realizing people will not follow those who haven't experienced it. Listen, there's a big difference in book knowledge and experiential knowledge, right? Book knowledge and experiential knowledge. And we need to book knowledge. We need to read the Bible. But the point of reading the Bible is to experience God. It's not just to increase your knowledge of Scripture. It is because the Word is living and active. And when you get in it and you say, God, speak to me, it will come alive and it will enlighten you. It will speak to you. It will convict you. It will encourage you. But you've got to open it. Prayer is not so that we can be pious and look, look godly and stand on the corner, as Jesus said, and, and begin to say, well, I pray this much every day. It's so that we can experience God. It's so that we can begin to to know him and not know about him. That's what God has called us to, is to be able to experience it. When I graduated um, with my construction management degree from Georgia Southern, believe it or not, and some of you will find this shocking, I was actually in the top one or two in my, my class in that construction uh, major. Not really that impressive if you knew all of us who were in that major, but, <laughs> but it is true. And, and, you know, and I studied and I did all this stuff, but you know what that got me when I went on my first construction site? absolutely nothing. When I walked on the site, man, those guys who'd been doing this for years, it was actually something that hindered me because they looked at me and were like, oh, college boy, old green, greenhorn. That's what they call it, greenhorn. I'm like, what is a green? Come on, man. They at least speak something that I understand. And, and so they would, they, would, they would not listen. Can you imagine if I walked out on the job and I was like, all right now, I studied this in school. 
And what we need to do, no, they're not going to listen. They want to listen to people who had experience. And those of you who are in college, you're going to realize when you get out, you don't know anything. You don't know squat. I hate it. It's a very expensive um, thing to humble you and make you realize, I still don't know anything. But it helps you advance because people look at that and they're like, well, if they can stick with this and, and do it, realizing that they're not going to get anything out of it, then, hey, they'll, they'll probably stick with a job too. And so we got to realize that. We, gotta, we need to understand that people are interested in experiential knowledge. They want to know that we have experienced God. I remember the first time I went on a job site, I was working with a framing crew. I was in that construction major, man. I was like, man, this is going to be great. Give me some experience. Go ahead. I was with a framing crew, and, and they were rough guys, man. I mean, if I was in a fight, that's who I want on my team, you know? And, and I'm up there, and, and I'm putting a fascia board up on the, the eve of this building. It was actually Dr. Lord's office um, downtown, the eye doctor. And, I, and I'm up there, and I'm putting it up there. And I was just excited because for the, the previous days, I don't know how long it was, all I did was sweep up sawdust and like hand up plywood. So I'm like, man, I got to touch something that like, actually matters. I'm, I'm going to get to nail a nail in. So I'm all pumped up, and I'm trying to get that piece of fascia board in. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, it, it, the guy looks at me, and, and I couldn't get it. It was hitting. So I was like, what's wrong with this thing? And this guy with a big, long ponytail, big, rough guy, big hands. I'm like, man, he could kill me. Like, I'd be dead. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I can't say exactly what he said, but he said, I'll just say this, hey, dummy. Okay? <laughs> hey, dummy. That is not exactly what he said. And he says, there's a nail behind it. I was like, oh. Okay. And so I took my hammer, I knocked the nail in, it slid in. Now, as luck would have it, a few minutes later, we're putting up another piece of fascia board. And he couldn't get his end to go in. So I pulled it out and looked at it. Sure enough, there was a nail. So I thought, I'll speak the language. I'll speak the language. And so I said, hey, dummy. There's a nail behind it. The whole job site went silent. <laughs> it was one of those moments I was like, I'm going to die. I, I didn't even really know Jesus at the time, but I'm trying to get right. I'm like, oh God, you know, I commit my spirit to thee. And, and, then, and then he just looks at me and everybody else finally just starts cracking up. I mean, the rest of the crew is just laughing, 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 laughing. And then he looks down at me and he finally cracked a smile. It was like, oh, I was like, thank God. I thought I was dying. And so, so, it, but, and then it was so funny after that, I was one of the boys, man. They wanted me to go drink beer with them. They wanted me to shoot pool with them. We were hanging out, you know, I was like, this is great. And, um, and so I became one of the guys, but you know what did it for me is, is it took some experience. I had to, I couldn't be the green one. I had to get out there and show them that I'm going to work. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to experience this, this uh, construction thing before I try to tell you what to do or what you need to do. And people aren't going to listen to us until we begin to have our own experiences with God. You can't live off of my experience with God during the week as I'm preparing a message and in my quiet time just trying to be with God. You can't live off your grandma's experience with God, your parents' experience with God. You have to have your own experience with God. And that's what God wants for us. That's why he died on a cross for us, so there wouldn't be this chasm between us, this valley between us, that we can't get to him. He wants us to come and to experience him and to know his love. Um, but for many of us, that is kind of an awkward time. The thing I hear most of the time is, well, I really don't know how to experience God. I, I don't know what to do. How do you do that? 
And it's awkward for all of us. I'm just going to be real, just real with you for just a second. The other night, I just felt like the Lord put it on my heart to go back to the back and go to our bedroom and pray. And, and it's about 7.30, 8 o'clock. The kids are up and Susan's up. And I said, and I really felt like what the Lord has been putting in my heart is I need to model prayer rather than just leading the prayer. I, they need to see me praying when I'm not just praying for them. They need to know that it's important to daddy that I hit my knees and I go before the God of the universe and I, and I let him speak to me and not just me speaking to him. And so I'm like, I'm going to model this thing. By golly, my kids are going to grow up. They're going to know Jesus. They're going to, I was fired up. And so I said, I stood up and as the spiritual leader of my home, I'm going to pray. And if you want to pray, then you can come pray with, with a pious Paul here. You can come pray with me. And so I went back there and I got on my knees beside the bed and sure enough, like little ducklings, here they come. And they follow me in there and I'm like, man, this is awesome. I, you know, I didn't know what happened. And so I get down on my knees and I'm praying and, and you know, I just wanted to spend some time just quiet before God. And so I said, you know, guys, sometimes it's good just to listen. It's good just to be quiet and listen. And Jackson's like, oh, okay. And, and so he's four. He's like, whatever, you know, let's just get this done. I want some gummy bears or something. And so then Dake and Susan's like, cool. She kind of got understood that. Right. But Dake is my inquisitive child. Dake doesn't accept things just because you say them, Right. And so Dake goes, how do you do that? How do you hear God, dad? And I was like, well, you're not going to hear him like you hear my voice. You're just going to, he's just going to put it on your heart. It's going to be impressed in your heart. He's like, I can't do that. Yeah, you can son. Come on. I can't do it, dad. I'm like, yes, you can, baby. Come on. You know, just, just ask him a question. Just, just get still and ask him and say, God, what's one thing you're proud of me for, for this week? What's one thing that I did that honored you this week? And, and I guarantee you he'll speak to you. No, he won't. Yeah, I, I can't do this. And he climbs up on the bed and he starts pitching a fit. I can't do this. I can't. I'm like, yeah, we can. And then so finally it was like, you know, it was like. And I was like, fine then, just go to your room. Just go to your room. If you're not going to listen, if you're not going to let me teach you, just go to your room. And as soon as he walks out the door, I'm like, what just happened? What just happened? We went for a good family prayer time and he ends up getting put in his room. And I'm like, don't you come out until you're ready to pray. I'm like, what is that? And I tell you that very vulnerable, open story to say this. It's awkward for all of us. It's not easy for anybody. It's not easy for anybody. But are you really going to let the awkwardness and, and the, the difficulty of sometimes going before God keep you from meeting with the God of the universe? No. When we really begin to grab hold of that, you move past the awkwardness. You move past the obstacles. And you get to a place where it wouldn't come hell or high water, I'm pressing into God. I'm not letting anything get between me and God. I'm going after God. And we get to that place. Think about it like this. How many of you, and some of you, I know this is a stretch. I mean, you got it, boy, you got to dig way back in the files. I understand that. But how many of you remember your first kiss? The first time you had that moment of intimacy with that girl or that guy? How many of you, show of hands, anybody still remember that? Yeah, some of it is blurred, right? But, but I, I can remember my first kiss. I'm not going to tell you how old I was. But I remember my first kiss. And, but you know what? I had no clue about what to do. I mean, you don't, do you? Your first kiss, you don't have a clue. You're, you're thinking things like, what do I do with my lips? <laughs> right? You're thinking things like, where does my nose go? Where do I put my nose in this thing? Like, what if, all right, I'll go this way. What if she goes that way? Okay, I'll go, well, oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> 
But did that stop you? No, it didn't stop you. And once you had the first kiss, that wasn't good enough. How many of you, it's like eating the, like a Lay's potato chip. You, just, you can't eat just one, right? How many of you stopped at your first kiss? You kissed and then you were like, that's it. I'm good for the rest of my life. I never have to kiss again. No, it's the same way with God. It's the same way with God. It may be awkward. It may feel strange. It, it might not feel like, man, I really know what I'm doing. But do you think God really cares? Do you think God cares if you get it perfect? God just wants you to come and to seek his face that you might know him, that you might experience him. Man, is that not awesome that God wants to know us? Whoo, I'm tired. But God is good. God wants to know us. He, he wants us to get face to face with him. I think that's one of the things that broke Jesus's heart so much about Judas is he betrayed him with what? A kiss. He walks into the garden and he betrays the son of God, the savior of the world, the God of the universe with a kiss. It was intimate. He was face to face with him and he betrayed him with a kiss. How do you think Jesus' heart felt? One of his 12 betrayed him with one of the most intimate things that we could ever possibly have. See, the problem with our culture is this. We have confused intimacy with sex. We don't know what intimacy is apart from sex. All we know is, is intimacy requires our, our clothes being off. And intimacy is not that at all. If you're going to connect with somebody, you've got to connect past the physical. You've got to get heart to heart. That's what God desires. It's not just our physical presence in church or our physical act of reading the Bible. He wants to connect heart to heart in an experience that can change and alter your life. Think about Moses. He goes in there and he, he's in the tent with God and he comes out and the Israelites freak out because it changed his entire countenance. When you begin to experience God, it begins to change you. It begins to change you. We need to experience God. If people are going to believe what we say as the church, as the body of Christ, as an individual, then we have to experience what we say is real if we're going to ever reclaim our credibility. The next thing was this. Is it was trustworthiness. But, but I believe that, that, that even a bigger aspect of that is character. Is character. And so I want to look at character very briefly. Um, and, and we're going to read, continue reading in, in Acts chapter 4. 13 through 16. Acts 4, 13 through 16. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed, stand, listen, they wanted to throw him in jail. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to do all this stuff to him. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. Think about this. They, they saw these men. They, they, they saw their lives. There was something so different about them. There was something so strange that people took notice. They realized it. They, there was something so uh, amazing about how they lived that, that it, was, it was different. It was different. And my question to you is this, because of your relationship with Christ, do people look at you and they see something different from the world? Where, what do you draw your standard from? What's your standard from character, uh, for our character? Is it that we draw our standard of character from people who say it's okay to sleep around? 
Do we draw our, 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 our standard of character from people who say, it's okay to just, just get drunk, man. <laughs> just live for today. Is it okay that, that we draw our character from people who say, you know what, man, your family, it's important, but you got to have your time. Man, you need to be playing golf. You need to be doing, where are we drawing our standard of character? Where are we really drawing our standard of character? Because I'm telling you, the only standard that God recognizes is the standard of perfection, which is Jesus Christ. And the problem with that is you and I don't measure up to that. You and I fall drastically short. Anybody in here say, would say, and be honest enough to say, I have a character flaw. Thank you. I got an amen for that one. She must be real messed up. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're, we're all messed up, right? We're all messed up. We are. We, we all have character flaws. I mean, I, I don't know what anybody would be thinking to think that I have it all together other than just trying to deceive themselves into thinking I don't need anything. But we all have character flaws. We're all in a place where we need, um, uh, we need a miracle. We need Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to transform us from the inside out. We need to begin to realize that the greatest miracle of God is somebody who can actually manifest the character of God, right? Because think about this. I, the other day I had a guy stop by my house, a good guy, like him, love being around him. But one of the things he told me was, he said, well, how's the church going? I was like, man, it's going great, man. We, we are blessed beyond belief. We got some great folks in this church and God's doing some really cool things and, and it's just been awesome to watch God work and, and, and we are just so blessed. And then he looked at me and he said, how about the signs and wonders? Are you seeing signs and wonders? I was like, oh, here we go again. I was like, man, and that's what I did inside, but on the outside, I just smiled and I said, yes, we are seeing signs and wonders like you never thought, like you've never experienced. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, we see people every week who their lives, lives are being transformed by the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Is that not the greatest miracle that we could possibly see? That God could take a selfish human being with character flaws and begin to mold and form them into his image. Is that not the greatest? You know you. Is that not the greatest miracle? That you, a selfish human being, and I don't have to know you to know that because it's ingrained in all of us, can actually be formed and molded by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us as we press into God, as we experience God, and he begins to transform us so that we actually display the character of God, which Galatians 5.22 says is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you know, self-control. And it goes on to say against these things, there is no law. In other words, it's exactly what happened with, with Peter right there. Against these things, against the fruit of the Spirit in your life, there's nothing that anybody can say bad against you. But is that our life story? Or are we manifesting the character of God? And what we need to realize is that our character is a building block. It is the building block of our life. It is what God is using. If, if you don't have character, nobody is going to follow you. You may be able to dangle a carrot in their face and they may follow you for a while, but when you're talking about something that they will willingly follow you, especially to the cross in our culture today where the name of Jesus is so looked down upon, and I'm telling you, you need to be praying, you need to be studying because there are days of persecution that will come against the church in the United States of America. If you told me that we would be where we are today three years ago, I would have told you you're crazy. 
but it's happening fast. And, and so we've got to get to a place where when God is, he's building us with a firm foundation. And listen, the Bible says over in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9, he says, listen, uh, the, build, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. To them, listen, to those who don't believe, to those who don't know, he's a stumbling block. They don't get it. But to you, he's precious. And he says, and you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare the wonders of him who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's what God has done for us. But people ought to see that. They ought to see that we have been built on the cornerstone. Listen, the cornerstone in construction back then was the first stone they would lay. It was the most important stone because that determined the rest of the building. That determined the rest of the building. It it determined, and this is the way the the, the definition I read of, of it said it. It said it determined the character and integrity of the rest of the building. If we're not building on that, if that's not our foundation, if we're not allowing God to shape and mold us as we're being built up on the cornerstone, then we will not have integrity. We will not have character. We cannot manifest the qualities of God. How arrogant of us to think that apart from God, we can manifest his character. We can't. You can hide it. You can try to manipulate it, but we cannot manifest it apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the Spirit of God working in us. Do you listen to this. I believe that there are two great problems. We're going to look at these out of Acts chapter 3. There are two great dangers in the church today. I want to share this. Well, you may look at this a little bit more in a few weeks, but, but there are two great dangers in the church today. The first one is this, that the church will not change with its culture. Now, some of y'all just hang in there because I know some of y'all are like, well, the church ain't going to change the culture. We can't be culture. The world ain't going to me. You know, you get mad and you're like, well, the church is church. You know? Listen. Listen to Acts chapter 3, verse 12. See, verse 12 and 13. It says, when Peter saw this, and this is after they've healed this man. He says, when Peter saw this, that the people were coming to them. They were coming to them and they were asking them, you know, what's happening? It says, when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Listen to what he says to him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Listen to how he appeals to him. He doesn't go to him and say, well, let me tell you about God, Jesus. He doesn't go to him and do that. He comes to him in a way that they understand, in a way that they can relate to. And he says, this is, why are you surprised? First of all, why, why in the world are you surprised by this? This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. This is not some strange God that we invented. This is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's going to him and he's speaking to him in a way that's relevant. They can understand. If he walked up to him and said, listen, this is Jesus. He's God. He died on the cross. And now you, you can be forgiven of your sins. They'd have never got it. But he appeals to them in a context that they understand. The context, the, 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 the way he spoke, and, and it was wrapped up in a context that they could understand. And, and listen, the church today, we ought to be relevant to people. Don't you think? Don't you think that, that we ought to be able to speak a language that they understand? Don't you think that when people get mad because there's drums on a stage, that that's a little silly? The drums on the stage do not change the truth. The truth is the truth. And the second greatest danger is this. 
The second greatest danger is that the church will change with culture. Now listen to this. Acts 14. He goes on and he listen to this message. Now, if I preach this message, I think everybody would probably leave. But listen to how Peter addresses him. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you as your, did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that he is the Christ who would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Listen to this. In one, one message... In one message, he called them sinners, murderers, and ignorant, right? So the thing that Peter did is he goes to them in a context that they understand, in a way that they can relate to, but he didn't waver on the truth. He said, listen, I'm not wavering from the truth. The bottom line is this. I can put it in terms you understand, but the bottom line is if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell because you're ignorant, you're a sinner, you won't repent. And you need to be saved. You need to be born again. And those are all church words. And I know most of us probably don't even know what that means. But he's saying, listen, apart from Jesus, you can't come to know God. You can't be in a relationship with him. You need to come and you need to know Jesus. I'm telling you, the church, the one thing we can't compromise is our character. We cannot compromise our integrity. We cannot compromise the truth of the gospel within a context. We can't come up here and because we want to draw big crowds, compromise on the fact that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the one who changes life, lives. Not a band, not a preacher, nothing else. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot change anybody's heart. It's the only way. I, I'm telling you, I recognize this every week. I'm telling you, and when I'm in my office at, starting at about 7.30 on Sunday morning, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say, God. You got to help me, God. You got to help me, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm like just freaking out because I realize this and I pray this every Sunday. God, if you don't tee it up, I can't hit it. I can't hit it. If you don't do it, God, I, I, can't, I can't do anything. And one of the things that breaks my heart the most is, is we can preach and we can study and we can sing and we can practice, but I can't make you choose him. I can't change you. I can't. It's only when you recognize the hand of God knocking on the door of your heart and you open the door that God begins to change you, that God begins to give you hope and a purpose and a future, that God shows you that even the crap you've been through, I've got a plan for you. And the things that the devil tried to use to hold you back, I'm going to use as a catalyst to propel you forward, just like a slingshot. But we can't, I, I can't make you get that. And that's one of the hardest things for me in ministry is I can't make you get it. It only comes when we press into God. One time when we were living in Waynesboro, I may have told this, I can't remember what stories I've told. If I've told it again, just nod like you, you've never heard it before and smile. <laughs> we're living in Waynesboro, Georgia, and, and really, if, don't do that. Just don't do that, <laughs> right? Just, just stay away and, and you'll be blessed, right? <laughs> you know that verse that says, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I'll give you that, that don't apply there. Just don't go to Waynesboro. <laughs> but we were living there 
And, and I had really just started living for God and I was, I was so excited about it. But I began to, to, to feel like I was getting distant from God. Anybody ever been there where you're just on fire, you're loving God, and all of a sudden you just start drifting, you just start drifting, you just start drifting, and you're getting further and further away. And, and then and, and I started recognizing this, but I'd found something that was so awesome. It was like that first kiss. I'm like, man, I ain't getting, I'm going after that again. I, I ain't letting that get away. And so I, I was like, man, I feel myself drifting, but, but I got to know God. I can't be apart from God again ever in my life. I, I got to know him. And so one night, Susan's cooking supper, and she's in the kitchen, and, and she's cooking. I don't know what it was, but, but she was cooking. And, and I said, I'm going after God. I'm pressing in. Nose gets in the way, whatever. I don't care. I'm, I'm pressing into God. And so I, I just got up, and I went in our bedroom, right, which is kind of cool because that's kind of the place of intimacy, right, in the marriage. And so I'm going into this place of intimacy. And I literally told God, I said, God, I'm not leaving until I find you here. I'm not leaving. I can't live like I lived before. And if I don't have you, if I don't experience you, I can't make it. And so I get in there and I just sit down. I cut the lights out. It was in the fall of the year. Uh, and so it was getting dark early. And, and, and I cut the lights out and I sit down Indian style in the floor. And I'm like, I ain't leaving. I ain't leaving until God shows up. And I don't think you can strong arm God. I think that's what God wants to do, right? He wants to come to us. And so I'm sitting there in the middle of the floor and I'm thinking, I'm going to be here for two days. I'm going to be here forever. And I sat there for about 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I'm sitting there. I'm just like, God, you got to show up. You got to show up. I, I need you, God. And, and all I can tell you is this. And this, this may freak you. It, it, may, it may make sense. It may not. But I'm sitting there in the floor. And it's dark. I mean, it's pitch black dark. First of all, I'm thinking if Susan walks in, two things are going to happen. One, she's going to get scared to death. I'm going to scare the you out of her. And the second thing is she's going to think, I am a nut. And so I'm sitting there. And, and all I can tell you is this. As I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, I'm just, just sitting silent. I feel this presence of God come into that room like I'd never experienced before. And the only thing I could do was weep. And here I am. I'm like 27 years old, sitting on my Indian style in the floor. And I'm like bawling my eyes out because I could feel the presence of God so strong. And then I'm really like, boy, if she walks in now, she is going to think I'm nutty. But I didn't care because I was in the arms of God. And it was so amazing. And listen, people, that is what we need to have. If our character is going to line up with the character of God, we need to get face to face. We need to begin to be transformed and changed. And we need to begin to press in like we never pressed in before. We need to begin to experience him in ways we've never experienced him before. Even if it feels awkward, even if it feels stupid, then you begin to press in and know God. You begin to allow him to press into you and experience him for yourself. Last thing is this, and we're going to eat some chicken. <laughs> kind of getting hungry. Acts 4, 18 through 20. This will be a shorter one, promise. 4, 18 through 20, it says this. Then they called them again, and called them back up, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For listen, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And I want to ask you this. Does it burn so much in you that you can't help but talk about Jesus? When you, when you have a conversation with somebody, is the first thing that comes up, is it Georgia Bulldogs or is it Jesus? 
Is it, is it golf or is it Jesus? Is it, is it football or Jesus? Is it a new purse you bought or Jesus or some new shoes you got or, or Jesus? What's the first thing that comes up? What's the first thing on your mind? Now, listen, we can't just all walk up to somebody and say, how you doing? My name's Brandon Williams. Let me tell you about Jesus. Remember, we got to put it in a context. They understand. But what's burning inside of you when you're talking to somebody? Are you going into a conversation with them about the Georgia Bulldogs with intent of in a moment this thing somehow? I don't know how, but it's turning to Jesus. God, give me an opportunity to turn this thing. I don't know how the Georgia Bulldogs and football goes to Jesus, but maybe it's about, you know, what's the, you know, it's so funny how people strive to get in that end zone, but how many people are really striving to get into heaven? Maybe it just turns. I don't know. But is that what's burning in your heart is an opportunity to be able to tell people about Christ? Because I believe this, and this is the third thing that establishes credibility. There ought to be something active. There ought to be some passion in our voice. If we really believe what God says, and if we really believe that God is who he says he is, and if we really believe what we say we believe, should we not be passionate? I'm not talking about being a cheerleader. I'm not talking about being some religious zealot. I'm not talking about just running around crazy for Jesus, but there ought to be something that burns in our gut. For him. I was, when I first started living, this was in Waynesboro too. I first started living for God. I was sitting in the parking lot waiting. Susan ran in the grocery store and I was kind of just sitting there with the car. And I'm like, man, I was praying. I was having dreams at night about witnessing the people. I was so nervous about it. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm so nervous. But I wanted to or something. I just got to tell people about the Lord. I got to tell them about what he's done in my life. And, it was something, and I was having dreams. I'd wake up at night sweating because I was like, wow, man. I, I, I didn't know what to do. And in my dream, I'd witness, well, I'm sitting there in the parking lot and I'm like, I'm, I'm telling somebody about Jesus right now. It's time. Gloves are off. I'm going after him. And I see this lady walking. And she comes out with a grocery cart. And it's piled up with groceries. I mean, she must have had 100 pounds of groceries. And she's kind of pushing up a little hill. I'm like, there's my target. That is my target. I'm going after her. And she might be the pastor's wife, but I'm going to tell her about some Jesus because she needs to know Jesus. And so here, here I go. And I get out of the car and I start walking. This is in Waynesboro now, like the crack cocaine capital of the world. And so I get out and more crime. And I sit there and watch the drug deal go down in the Walmart parking lot. I called the police and said, hey, I'm watching a drug deal. At, it was actually at the McDonald's parking lot. I said, at the McDonald's parking lot. I said, I'm right here. The guy's still here. Can you send somebody? They said, can you hold, sir? And never even came back. This is Waynesboro, right? And so I jump out and I go running up to her and, and I'm all giddy. I'm like, hey, I'm going to tell her about Jesus. And so I get there and I'm like, ma'am, can I help you with your groceries? I'd love to push that buggy for you. And she's like, no, I'm good. And so she starts walking. I'm like, but ma'am, those are heavy. Let me push that buggy for you. I can help you with that. And she's like, no, I, I'm, I'm really good. And she starts walking a little faster. So I started walking a little faster. And so She's going on, and I'm like, let me help you. Let me, let me push that buggy for you. And she's like, no. And, and so she just, she just, I mean, she's almost in a jog trying to get to her car. I don't think that's what we need to do, right? I don't think that, I think she called the police and was like, hey, there is some maniac in the grocery store parking lot. Um, and they said, can you hold just a minute? But thank God, right? They didn't come and get me, but it was, it was that way. I mean, I, I wanted to tell somebody, and listen, we don't need to be religious zealous. We don't need to be cheerleaders. We don't need to, 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 to do this in a crazy way. We need to do it in a context that people understand, but there should be a passion that burns inside of us that at some point I'm telling somebody about what Jesus has done in my life because what I have experienced him and he is changing my heart. He is changing my life and, and I'm experiencing him in a real and mighty and awesome way. And we should get to that. Listen, this is the thing that gets me because I'm here with you. How can we not have a passion if we really believe 
what Jesus says about us. If we really believe what Jesus did for us. Listen, this is what the Bible teaches, that you were hopelessly lost in your sin. You were, you were hopelessly lost. You, you were hopelessly going to hell for eternity. You were going, there is a real place called hell, okay? Let's just not, we won't debate. There is a real place. And we were destined for that because we were sinful. Every one of us. And the Bible says that Jesus, because we couldn't do it for ourselves, came and died on a cross for us, shedding his blood, which the Bible says the life is in the blood. He gave up perfect blood that we could know him, that that chasm between us and God could be bridged and that we could come into a real relationship with God and experience the God of the universe, that he would reconcile us back to him, that we could, could literally come and know him. And now he says, and guess what? You get to be on my team now. You get to be the ambassador for the kingdom of God. See, an ambassador is given authority to go on behalf of the king. And now he says to you, you're my ambassador. Now go and, and tell people about what I've done in your life. The question is, has God done something in your life? Have you pressed in? Is he changing your heart? Is he moving in you now? That, to me, is the question. See, we can all use some effort to change what's on the outside. But it takes God change to change what's on the inside. We can walk through life with a facade that looks great. But inside those walls is, is, uh, is, is, is hollow. Jesus said it like this. Why do you clean the outside of the cup when the inside is all kind of screwed up? Clean the inside and then the outside will be made clean. He says, listen, you're whitewashed tombs. This is what he was telling the religious people of his day, the people who, the, 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 people who, uh, the folks look to for religious guidance, right? Spiritual guidance. And he says, you're whitewashed tomb. You've cleaned up the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. There's nothing there. And the sad thing is, guys, that we have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, and so many of us are living in that way. We're not living in the abundance that God wants us to have. We're living dead on the inside and, and we're trying to manipulate our behavior on the outside so that people and, and you don't see what's going on in our private lives. We try to live from the public to the private, hoping that our public life covers our private life. And the truth of the matter is that we will never be able to stand before man until we've knelt before God. Until in our private lives, there begins to be a manifestation of God in the world around us. And so that's what God is calling us to. What a privilege. And we look at it and it's like, well, God, I gotta go pray. It's a privilege that we get to know him and be known by him. And that's what God has called us to. I wanna ask you one question today. Do your socks match? Don't like look at your feet like the children were doing. That was kind of funny. They're all like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're singing that song. They're kind of just looking at their feet. Don't look at your feet. Do your spiritual socks match? Do they? Do they match? Or are you wearing a tube sock and an argyle sock? Or are you, are you matching up are you, because God's working on the inside of you? That's the question I want to leave you with today. Are you matching up? Let's pray.